Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I want to talk to you uh, about the other side of supply. Um, last week, we talked about the miraculous power of God's provision for us. Um, how many of you were here last week when we, when we talked about uh, the story of Elijah and the widow? Okay, a couple of you. All right. The rest of you, welcome. Um, we preached from, uh, let's see, verse, uh, verse 8 through, um, right on through verse 16, um, about a story about uh, Elijah, who is considered one of the greatest prophets. Some consider him the greatest prophet um, in all of the Old Testament. And um, Elijah uh, appears on the scene in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we don't know really where he's come from or much about him, except that he is bringing a word from the Lord. And it's not really a positive word. Uh, he speaks to the king. And because of the sins of the king and of the people, God is sending a famine on the land. And Elijah said, look, it's not going to rain um, until I say so. Uh, that's power. That's, that's power. When you can stop the rain... Uh, man, that's something else. So this, this, this guy has the power of God demonstrated in his ability to stop the rain. And it doesn't rain. It ends up uh, lasting about three and a half years, this drought. Uh, when you're in the Middle East and you're an agricultural society, no rain is uh, no bueno. Uh, it's not good. Uh, I mean, stuff starts dying. Cattle starts dying. Your sheep starts, start dying. The grass, the ground starts cracking. Uh, it's dry. I mean, it is, it is dry um, in the Middle East here. And it's all because of Elijah. Elijah has made this pronouncement of judgment. And now he's on the run um, because the people, uh, obviously, of Israel are not too happy with Elijah. He's not going to win People of the Year Award. He's not going to be in the front of Time magazine. Um, actually, he might be. He's the most influential person of that particular year. Um, it, he's not popular. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of friends on Facebook. In fact, the king is chasing him. The king and the queen are trying to find Elijah to kill him. And he's on the run. And so God provides for Elijah by sending him to this, to this, this, this brook where in the beginning of chapter 17, where God says, look, if you go there, um, there's, there's a place called there. And um, that place is a place of provision. We've been talking about that, how God has a place called there for each one of us. There is the place of obedience. It's not always the place that feels right to you, but it is the place that God is telling you to go. And sometimes if you just go there, um, God's provision will meet you there. And so God sends him to the, what's called the Kareth Ravine um, to be fed by ravens. That's a crazy story. Uh, ravens drop off food to him every day and a drink from the brook that's there. And then after a while, the brook dries up. Um, God's there is not always permanent. Um, then God says, hey, I want you to go to another there. Uh, there's a widow uh, woman who is in um, Zarephath, uh, which, is a country, which is a city of Sidon. And he says, once you get there, I've commanded this widow to feed you. Well, it's interesting. He gets there and he meets the widow woman there. And this widow woman happens to be in the same predicament that he is in that she doesn't have much food either. She's making her final meal before her and her young son die. 
And um, that's something interesting about God. God. God will oftentimes send you to a place or a person who is actually needing the same thing you are. Uh, it's funny, it's, it's like you would think if, if God wanted to feed his prophet, he would send him to a lady that had a lot of food. But he didn't do that. He sent him to a lady who also needed food. And Elijah said, uh, you need to make me some food. And she says, all I got is this one last meal. And it's just me and my son, we're going to die. And, um, and Elijah says, okay then. Uh, but first, before you die, um, make sure you give me a meal. And it seems backward, right? It seems like she should be saving her bread. But as we talked about last week, the, the secret of heaven is sowing. The secret of the rhythm of, of, of heaven is to be able to let go of what's in your hand and trust that God will bring it back to you. In fact, that's, that's, what, that's what we're doing right now. Those of you that are participating in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, um, how many of you are participating in 21 days of prayer? Yeah, okay. Somebody give up a Snickers bar maybe? Uh, okay, so now uh, any, uh, anybody leave an extra fry in the bag for Jesus? I mean, something? I mean, tell me you're giving up something. I mean, this, this, this is the point, though, of fasting is to set aside at the beginning of the year to set aside stuff we normally have and we lay it aside in order to seek God. We, we give it to God. And uh, my kids are fasting uh, as well. We let them choose something. Madden chose um, flour to fast flour. Um, most normal humans would call it bread, but she grows up in a household that talks a lot about the ingredients. And so she said she loves flour, so she needs to give up flour. So she's given up bread uh, for, this, for this season. Um, some of you guys might want to, may, maybe I'll have her preach to you guys next time about uh, giving up for the Lord. Uh, Micah gave up sugar because he loves sugar. And uh, man, I, me too. I love sugar and bread, so I'm not having either of those. But man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's an interesting time when you're, when you're putting God first. What we're doing is we're sowing into the spiritual realm for the rest of the year. Basically, we're saying that what we have is just not enough. We need more of God. We need more of his presence. We need more of his power in our lives. And so we're going to give up what we have to get what we need. And that's what fasting is. And um, if you want to join us this week, a little plug for our, our, our prayer meetings. We're meeting at Romeo and Jackie's this week, Monday through Friday. There they are. Uh, the address is on the website. It's in the app. It's uh, on Facebook. It's all over the place. If, if you, or just talk to them after the service. Um, we're going to be there 6 o'clock to 7 p.m. every night, Monday through Friday. Um, if you can just be there for one night, I'm telling you, it will, it will help you. It will bless you. Um, this past week was awesome. We were at Nancy McDuff's house. And um, also, we're praying over all the prayer requests. So when you came in, you got an envelope um, in the worship guide. Um, fill that out. Let us know some ways that we can pray for you this week. Uh, we really believe in the power of prayer and in sowing into the Spirit. What we're doing is we're denying the flesh and we're sowing into the Spirit. We want to see more of God, so we're giving to God. And that's what this woman did. And man, when she gave up what she had... Um, the Bible says that she was fed for the rest of the famine, that the jar of oil that she had never went empty, the jar of flour that she had never went empty. It miraculously um, just appeared every morning, more oil, more flour. Um, in case you're wondering what that makes, that makes bread. That's, that's what that makes. So she had, she had, she had pancakes every morning. Um, she, had, she had waffles, maybe a little bit of waffles. I don't know, some... some uh, 
So French toast. Oh, come on, somebody. No, that, that requires eggs, but I don't know. But um, you know, I don't know if she had eggs or not, but she, she, she had enough to sustain her and her son and Elijah, who lived with her for the next, um, right about three years. Um, and that's just the way God works. You give him one meal, and then he feeds you for three years. Uh, that's just how God's economy works. But today I want to talk about after this. So uh, many of us have experienced some supply. We've experienced some blessing from God. The question is, what happens after this? And we're going to keep reading. In verse 17, um, it says after this. Now, I, I, I know in Disney you get a happily ever after, um, but in real life, that's not how it works. So in real life, this is some real life stuff here. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. And she said to Elijah, Why or what have you against me? Why have you come against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. If you want to be falsely accused, just join the ministry. I'm just saying. I'll just throw that in there. Just put that, put that out there. Um, it's all right. I don't need your sympathy. I'm just saying. And... He said to her, uh-uh, wasn't me. No, that's not actually what he said. He said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord saying, oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn or with whom I stay by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, delivered him to his mother, and Elijah said, See, <laughs> your son lives. The woman said to Elijah, now I know. I think that's interesting. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Now I know. Uh, I want to talk to you today about the other side of supply. That um, many of us, uh, in 2017, for instance, last week we took an unofficial poll, had people raise their hand who had started coming to City Chapel in 2017. And um, it was exciting to see so many new people joining um, the family. Um, it's also, as I, as I know people, and as I connect with people, and counsel people, and walk with people, and um, stalk them on Facebook, um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, also, it's also interesting to see how, how um, not just City Chapel, but God has entered into people's lives. It's exciting to see how people who were caught up in bondage a year ago right now are walking in a lot more freedom than they've ever walked in before. It's exciting to see marriages that were struggling a year ago right now are, are much tighter and closer and more full of love than they've ever been before. It's exciting as I look at people who are making progress. Um, they've, th what, what they've done is they've tapped into this supply, just like this woman, um, she was starving, right? And so that means that's, that's, that's basically a resource problem. When you're starving, it means you don't have enough food, enough resources to feed yourself um, and your family. Now, mm, probably nobody here has actually really dealt with that kind of hunger. You probably haven't gone um, 
three, four weeks without food um, and thinking that you're eating your final meal. Um, but uh, here in America, a lot of us do deal with other kinds of starvation, not necessarily with regard to food, but I think we do know what it's like to be on your last bit of patience with your kids. Um, maybe somebody would want to, we, we do know, yeah, okay. <laughs> Casey knows. Uh, to be on the last bit of, I mean, or, or to be on the last bit of, of forgiveness with your spouse. Right, if they, if they do that one more time, if they say that one more, if they, <laughs> to be on the last little bit of, of, of love for, for your fellow man, for people uh, in traffic, come on somebody, or as, or as Madden used to call it uh, when she was uh, about three, um, and I've just adopted it as what I call traffic, um, she called it fakic. And um, I just think that that's appropriate. So every time I'm out in the, in the fakic, I'm like, man, look at all this. Anyway, it's a, it, it's a parent thing. It's funny. You just you do you find you find cute things they say. Um, he's like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, but no, I mean, you, you, we 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 know what it is. Not maybe to be starving in our bodies, but to be on the last little bit of hope, on the last little bit of joy, um, the last little bit of patience, the last little bit of peace. If anything else happens today, I'm going to lose it. I'm on the edge. We know what it is to live on the edge of those things. And that's, that's part of, of our predicament. We have bread, we have food, we have shelter, we have clothing. Um, but man, we struggle in some of these other areas. And so we need God not necessarily to come feed us physically. We need God to come fill up our patience, to come fill up our love, to fill up our, our long suffering and our joy and our peace. And for many, that's what I've seen. When, 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 when you welcome the word of God into your home, you experience the power of God in your life. That's what, that's what Elijah really, Elijah is a symbol in many of these stories. He's a symbol of the word of God in a generation. He is the voice of God to those people. And when she welcomed him, Everybody else was hating on him. Everybody else was trying to kill him. But when she welcomed him into her home, she saw the unlimited supply of heaven. She tapped into it. Every morning she woke up and she looked at her jar of oil and there was more oil. And she looked at her jar of flour and there was more flour. I mean, every morning, I don't know if she's Pentecostal or not, but she would have, if she was, she would have been able to have a praise break, you know. Some of you don't even know what that is, but it's, it's when the, the drum starts going, doonch, 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 and you get the organ going, and you just kind of like dance around in circles. Like, like you can have a praise break, you run a lap. Every morning she's getting excited, she's fired up, she's, she's getting all Pentecostal, and, 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 and I mean, because she is being fed, literally, she's seeing miracles literally every day. And that's her life now. It, you, like, what, 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 a, what, what a flip, right? Like you go from starving, having your last meal, and then we're going to die. And now all of a sudden living in a miraculous home every day. And uh, man, at City Chapel, that's what we've seen. People stepping into that. They're tapping into the resources of God. They're tapping into the power of God in their lives. And they're saying, man, I wake up and there's newness of joy. There's newness of peace. God's mercies are new every morning. He's speaking to me. He's dwelling with me. He's walking with me. He's giving me a new perspective on my life and on my situation. And that's exciting. It's exciting to start to receive the word of God into your home and to watch him work. 
Has anybody, has anybody agree with that? Anybody seen that in their own home? Anybody seen their own family? Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you have been saved so long, you don't even remember what it's like to be starving, so you're not as grateful. <laughs> well, maybe I should talk this side over here. Okay, so you guys seem to get that. Uh, like, you can get full and forgetful real quick. You can get, you can get fat and forgetful real quick. You, you know, I mean, it's one thing when, when, when you're just coming in off the street, you're just starting, you get excited about it, but so often we get full and then we get complacent and then we get forgetful and we, we forget what it was like to be starving. Because we're so used to the miraculous every day, every day, every day, yeah, yeah, every Sunday, yeah, yeah, people getting saved, yeah, 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 you know, reaching out to the community, yeah, yeah you know. 602 presents to kids. Well, yeah, you know. You can get so used to it when, you, when, 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 it's, when it's just in. When God's doing amazing things in your house and you wake up to it every day, you can get, you can get uh, almost to where you expect it. And when it happens, it's just like, well, yeah, that's what happens. That's, what, that's, how, that's how I roll. That's how my life is. That's how God is. But it wasn't always that way. She was starving not very long ago, and now God is providing for her moment by moment, day by day. She's on the other side of supply. She's received the word of God into her life. She's seen the power of God, and now, now uh, she's getting comfortable. And I know she's getting comfortable because, because when you read uh, this verse 17 right here, it says, after this, the, on, on the other side, of supply. After this, she's eating every day. There's miracles happening in her home every day. After this, the son of the woman, this is her, her kid, the mistress of the house. It's interesting, the Bible calls her the mistress of the house. That, 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 that means the owner of the house. It's almost like uh, pri previously the Bible called her the widow woman, and then after this she's called the widow woman. When Jesus refers to her in Luke chapter 4, he calls her the widow woman. But here in verse 17, she's called the owner of the house. It, I think that's part of, 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 the, of after the supply. It's like when God starts providing for you, it changes your perspective. So it's easy to, be, uh, to only be focused on what you've lost, calling yourself a widow, when you are starving to death. But when you start eating and when you start having a sustainable uh, income and resource, suddenly you start realizing what you have gained. Lost a husband, gained a house. Uh, <laughs> the owner of the house. This is a different way. This is just the same, same woman, different perspective. After this, the, the, her son, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. The actual, uh, the original language says his spirit left him. In other words, he died. Now this is interesting. Most, most of the time um, when, when I hear preachers preach on this or I read commentators, normally they kind of, they just say, they, they sort of summarize it like that. It's real easy to summarize it, right? That's about 10 seconds to read through that if you're really reading slow and intently. I mean, basically, kid gets sick, kid dies. And then she says to Elijah, yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. Verse 17 doesn't happen that quickly. I don't know if any of you have ever been with somebody during a terminal illness. But it, it, it doesn't happen in 10 seconds. You don't wake up with a cold and then you're dead by lunch. 
That's not, I mean, that's just not how it typically works. Turn off that light there. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just the fact that, um, uh, that we just recently experienced this loss in, loss in my family. My uncle, Uncle John, passed away in July from pancreatic cancer. Um, he was diagnosed about 10 months prior to that, and they told him he had 10 months to live, and he lived right about 10 months. And uh, pancreatic cancer is one of the most um, painful uh, cancers to have. It was also a very aggressive tumor, and so um, relatively speaking, I mean, like with regard to other cancers, uh, it was a short um, time. Now, if you were to ask Uncle John, it was not short enough. Uh, it was, uh, it's brutal. It's, 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 there's no sanitizing it. You don't, it's not, that verse 17, I mean, we read that and it takes 10 seconds, but that didn't take 10 seconds to live through that. Uh, in her home, it's not even like she had separate rooms or a hospital to take him to. Uh, my, my uncle lived with, uh, uh, lived on his own for a while, then lived with uh, my aunt Gloria for a while, and my uncle Les, um, Uncle John lived with them for a while, and I mean, uh, toward the end, he couldn't keep anything down, uh, even, even his pills, his medicine, uh, his, pan his pancreas was rejecting, uh, causing his stomach to reject literally everything. Um, it was brutal, vomiting all the time, um, losing so much weight. It's, it's, it, it, it changes you. Sickness, uh, it, it, like, I, he was barely recognizable, actually, you know, and the pictures of him in his final days, he looked, he looked like he aged like 30, 40 years in the span of 10 months. He lost so much weight, uh, his hair uh, fell out because of the chemo, he just, he, he was, um, he just looked, he looked like skin and bones. Uh, he had a, um, he had a football uh, accident, I guess, when he was in high school, like, 50 years ago, uh, he broke his uh, collarbone, I think it was, and um, when he's in the hospital, my sister could see the line, like through his skin, could see the line where the collarbone had been broken, uh, like 50 years ago. I mean, this, this, just, this is what happens. It, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not simple. It's brutal. Uh, when you get so sick, because the, the Bible tells us, like, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't die in a hunting accident. He didn't get run over by a chariot. Uh, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Period. That's, there, there's a long space between that sentence and the next one. There's a long, many months. This isn't 30 minutes or 30 days. This is, this is a long space that this kid is sick. And then his illness became severe. He got sicker. And, 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 and she's not living in his big house. She didn't send him to a hospital. She, he's, he's living with her. And, and those, those homes in those days would have been about the size of this, this rectangle here, about 10 by 16, uh, wood, uh, um, um, dirt floor, uh, uh, basically mud on mud, mud brick walls and mud and thatch roof. And, w and when it says that Elijah had a room or a chamber upstairs, it really just means a tent, like on the roof. Like, like they kind of pitched a tent for him up there on the roof. Whenever the Bible talks about rooms in a house, it generally means something that you build uh, like alongside a house or on top of a house. They didn't usually have rooms. They had like a little uh, uh, a mat here, like that would be her bed. A mat here, that would be his bed. And over here they would have had like some kind of stove with a, a way to get the smoke out to be able to cook. Uh, but that's, that's about it. And she's, she's waking up next to a kid for months who is terminally ill. And he's, and he's losing control of his bodily functions. And he's, he's in and out of consciousness. And, and, and it's awful. 
She's living. It's, it's amazing what we learn to live with. It's amazing the kind of dysfunction we make deals with. The kind of sickness. What's crazy to me, she's experiencing the miracles of God every single day. She's going to her jar of oil and her jar of flour and woohoo. And her son is dying on a mat. And there's no scripture where she goes to the prophet and asks him to pray for her son. There's no, there's, there's none of that. Of course, you have to understand, this is a single mom, who single moms are tough already, because <laughs> they have to be. But number two, this is a single mom in those days, when those days, women couldn't even get a job. They, they weren't allowed to work. And so, I mean, this, this lady is especially tough. If you, and, and there's a certain kind of uh, I can do it attitude that comes with that kind of toughness, that kind of desperation that she's been thrown into. It's a certain kind of, don't worry, I got it kind of attitude. And she's doing the best she can. She's dealing with her son, but she doesn't have it. And I find that so many of us are very much like this son, that we, that, that, that we love to you know, pretend that everything is okay and everything is good and everything is great. And, 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 and even if it's noticeably not, right? It's like, so is that your son there? Because he looks kind of sickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fine. It's a 24-hour bug. He'll be all right. Even if it's not, we're like, yeah, it'll, it'll work itself out. Like, yeah, it'll be fine, right? You know, we just kind of have a general feeling. And Texans are especially like this. And this is why they drive so horribly. Is it's just like, you know, we'll just throw the mattress on top of the roof, strap it down, it'll be fine. I mean, some of these people going down the highway, I'm like, did you think about what you put on your car before you drove down the road? This is not just going to be fine. Like, this is dangerous. Like, somebody's got to, somebody's got I mean, but, you know, whatever. That's true in driving. That's true in life. How's it going? Oh, I'm blessed and highly flavored. How are you? I'm, just, I'm the head and not the, t I'm not the tail. I'm, I'm above and not beneath. Everything is good. Everything is awesome. And, you know, we just kind of have this general, I'm quoting all kinds of stuff. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. We have a general feeling that it's okay. It's okay. I can handle it. Just don't, look, desperation is just not popular. Desperation is just not popular. So you don't get the Instagram of desperation. You get the Instagram, right? She's, she's, in her, she's in her house Instagramming her new couch, you know, making sure to not show her sick son who's passed out on the, on the mat. You know, she's got to get the right, oh, look how wonderful this is. You know what I mean? But this is what we do. We project strength. We project goodness. We project everything's okay. We project we got it together. Oh, isn't God good? Yeah, it's wonderful. Meanwhile, her son is dying. It's amazing what we learn to live with and learn to imagine will be okay and it's really not that serious. No, it is serious. As we step into 2018, I just pray that God would, would convict us of the things we have allowed to die in our own house. The stuff that used to be active and full of life, the spirit is seeping right out of it and all that's left is flesh. And we don't we don't reach out, we don't, we don't cry out, we don't get desperate. In many ways, because that was this woman's level of faith. She was uh, on the supply side of faith. That was her level. She believed that God could do things for her. That was it. 
That was her level of understanding of God. And she, she sort of explains this when she approaches the prophet, right? She, she approaches him with her son in her arms. And she says, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She, what is she saying? Is that, I mean, is, is that true? Is that what God does? Does God kill kids to remind people of their sin? No. Clearly, this is not what God does. But this is her understanding of God. She is, she is emotionally distraught and she is allowing, she's allowing her, uh, her circumstance to inform her theology. She's allowing how she feels to dictate what she believes. Because that's where she is. Because that's all that she knows about God. Because that's how her God, the God of Baal, that's how he works. So she's projecting what she has known in her life, in her past, onto the God of the universe. And she says, I really don't need this. I really don't need a God who's just like my other God, who's going to remind me of my sin and drag up the stuff from my past and kill my son because of it. But that's the only kind of God that she knows. And that's the kind of God that she has in her mind. And she has an awful theology. She's completely wrong. But look at, look at Elijah's response. He doesn't preach to her. He doesn't give her a lesson in theology. He doesn't tell her about how there is evil in the world and God allows free will and uh, so on and so forth, etc., etc. No, he doesn't, he doesn't give her a theology lesson. He says to her, uh, give me your son. And this is what I believe. I believe every church needs these two kinds of people. We all need some, we, we all need some folks with some jacked up theology. <laughs> uh, and I'm proud of the fact that at City Chapel, we definitely have that. We, <laughs> we have some people um, who don't know what they believe. Uh, they're just confused. We have some people who believe some strange things. And I think that's great. I think every house that God anoints and that God does the miraculous in has these two kinds of people. It has people who, who don't really know God. Because if you, if, if you look at her statement, after the whole thing, after the prophet raises um, her son from the dead, she says to him, she says, now I know. Right? Did you catch that at the very end of the story? She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. What? Like the flour and the oil didn't clue you in? I'm sorry, what? Now you know? The whole no rain thing didn't like clue you in? Like you couldn't have figured this out from the, the miracle that was happening in your house every single day? I mean, this, do you think that's normal? you think flour just appears in jars all the time? Now you know? No, no, no. Here, here, here's the thing. It's, it's just, that, it's just it's, it's that she didn't really know God except at the supply level. She knew a God who could meet her needs. But as soon as that God did something or allowed something to happen in her life that was not meeting her needs, she, she, she didn't know that God. She'd never lived on that side of the supply. She had only lived on the side of, I need something and God gets me something. I need something and God gets me something. And that was the God. As long as God's doing good things for me, then God loves me. But as soon as God stops doing good things for me, then apparently God's judging me for my sins and he hates me. 
and he's doing evil things to me now. That was, that was her version of God. And every church needs people like that. Because what that means is, is, is God is winning lost people to himself. Because remember, she was a pagan. She wasn't a Jewish person. God was revealing himself to her. And it happens slowly. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens in levels. And the first level is supply. I need something. And God says, all right, I am going to be your supplier. I'm going to meet your need. But, but he doesn't just want to leave her there. He wants to reveal who he really is. And this is the other kind of person that every church needs. Every church needs an, an Elijah. Every church needs a widow, and every church needs an Elijah. And Elijah is somebody who, who, who has walked with God through some things, who has experience with God that tells him that even when bad things happen in my life, God is still good, and God still loves me. Even, because he's been through some bad things. That's how you figure that out, by the way. You don't, there's no class for that. You just, the, you are welcome. You are in that class right now. And you are learning that. Um, that's how you figure that out. And, and so every church needs, needs, needs some people who, who are freaking out. And they're like, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what's happening. But every church needs some people to come alongside those people who are freaking out, who have walked with God long enough to come up to them and tell them how wrong they are. Oh, no, sorry. That's a, that's a whole other thing. Uh, judge them with their eyes. Nope, definitely not it either. Every church needs somebody to come alongside those people and say, uh, give me your son. In other, words, in other words, instead of talking at people, what if we came alongside them and helped carry the weight of what's crushing them. That's what scripture says, to bear one another's burdens. That means to come alongside somebody and when they're like, see, but, see, but you have to be firm enough in your own theology. You've got you to get your own theology straight. You can't be all experiential in, only in your, in your own theology. You have, to, you have to have walked with God through some difficult times and to come out the other end and say, wait a minute, God had a purpose and a plan through all of this. Because, because otherwise, if, if, if like two widows get together, they're just going to complain about, yeah, I can't believe God let this happen. And boy, can you fathom that this is going to, what's he going to do next? I mean, what, who's, am I just going to die from a, a spear in the side or something? I mean, this is just going to be crazy. Scorpion's going to invade the house. Sure, he got me flour and oil, but, but now what is he doing for me today? If, if those two widows get together, it's not, it's not healthy. But, but the great thing about when God walks with somebody like Elijah through those places, he sends Elijah to widows to carry the weight. Not to say you're wrong, not to say, look, this is what you should be thinking. Look, let me, let me, let me, let me whip out this scripture here. What do you think about that, huh? No, it's not, logic is not going to win here. She's not making a logical statement. She's making an emotional statement. She's hurting. She's broken. She doesn't need somebody to preach to her. She needs somebody to put an arm out and hand out and say, let me carry what you're carrying. Because she doesn't have enough faith to take what she's carrying to God. Because she really doesn't know God. Every church needs some people to bear one another's burdens. That's what, that's what prayer is all about. That's called intercession. And one, one good way to know whether which one you are whether you're an Elijah or, or a widow, 
is just to ask yourself the question, if, if God answered all of my prayers, would anybody be blessed other than me? For the widow, she would be the only one to receive blessing. If God answered all of her prayers, her, all of her prayers would be, feed me, raise my kid from the dead, keep him healthy. But Elijah's a different story. Elijah carries not his son, her son. He didn't even hardly know the kid. He doesn't have any personal vested interest in this. He carries her son. He prays for her son. He cries out for her son. I think this is, God is looking for people who will carry the, the deadness of South Austin, the deadness of Buda, the sickness of this city, the woundedness of this region. God is looking for people that will carry the complaints and the criticism of the atheists and not just look for ways to destroy them. <laughs> So-and-so destroys an atheist. Oh, that's wonderful. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. You can destroy somebody's argument and lose the relationship and they stay in bondage. So congratulations. You just destroyed the argument and you haven't shown the love of God at all. The love of God is to say, okay, look, I see you're hurting. Your theology is clearly not right. But let me, can I, can, can I carry that for you? Can I help you carry that? Because I know where to take it. You don't know where to take your dead things. Because your theology is so, so all around in circles. You don't know where to take your dead things. But I know where to take it. Elijah takes the dead son, takes it up to his room, lays him on his bed, and says that he stretches himself out on him. Uh, that means like his face to his face and like his arms to his arms, his mouth to his mouth. You have to remember, this is the first time in all of the Bible that anybody prays this prayer right here. Uh, we've seen this, we've seen resurrection happen after this um, several occasions, but never before has anybody in the Bible prayed that somebody would be raised from the dead. Uh, not in all of Genesis, not in all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. Until you get to 1 Kings chapter 17, the first time that somebody prays a prayer of resurrection. Because this is, this is the kind of house that resurrection comes to, the kind of house that can, that can maintain, that can hold people who have messed up theology and people with strong theology will carry the burdens of those with messed up theology until they get strong theology. That's the kind of house that, that dead things come back to life in. The kind of house that demands that you have the right theology before you, before you sit here and, and belong here will never experience resurrection. But this kind of house, this is the first time. And you've got to pay attention when something happens for the first time. And he, and he stretches out on the boy. In other words, he lays on him. Don't, don't offer to pray for something that you're not ready to touch. Don't say that you really care about something if you're not ready to connect with it. Uh, and, and by touching, I don't mean that, you know, like, don't go lay on people that you pray for. That's not a good idea. <laughs> if 
If you're married to them, that's fine, I guess. But otherwise, it could get awkward real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but no, like, uh, to, like, like most scholars believe that he's breathing into the kid. Uh, thinking, almost, perhaps thinking that his breath is going to, you know, he's basically saying, God, like, he, this kid needs breath, and so he doesn't have his own spirit, so I'm going to breathe my spirit, I'm going to breathe my breath into him. It's almost like what most scholars believe is going on here. But that's, that's, that's what intercession is. It is, yes, to bring and carry the burdens of other people to the cross and to God in prayer and cry out in prayer for people. That's part of intercession. The other part is to stretch yourself and to touch humanity. That your breath or your spirit, the spirit that God's put inside of you, would, 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 would breathe onto other people. That only happens in proximity. That only happens when you connect with them. That happens through text messages. That happens through phone calls. That happens through Facebook messages. That happens through lunches. That happens through hanging out with people. That happens through going to birthday parties. That happens through touching and connecting with the people that you're praying for. We cannot pray from a distance for God to resurrect our dead nation, our dead society, and then back off and pretend like we don't have to get involved in it. We cannot be sanitary and evangelistic at the same time. For the prophet to touch a dead corpse would make him unclean. But you got to get unclean if you're going to raise anything back from the dead. Because the prophet knows you can't just stand outside of your room and pray, God, resurrect him. God, do this in the city. God, do this in my family. God, do this in my coworkers. Lord, Lord, really just, just, just reach, 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 reach. No, no, no. He puts you here to reach, to touch, to meet needs, to make phone calls, to make hospital visits. That's why he puts you here. Because you are the one that's supposed to be connecting. As you pray to heaven, you've got to be stretched out on earth. And as a church, that's what we are. We are stretched out <laughs> on earth. We are uh, stretched in our resources. We are stretched in our finances. We're stretched in the amount of food uh, that we're giving. We're st it's, it's stretching, but we're touching the community, touching the environment. You don't, you don't pray for something and then stay sanitary. You have to touch it. You have to be there directly on it. And when he brings her down, uh, brings him down to her, he says, uh, see, your son lives. And this is what God does. God resurrects. God revives. And, and, and that's what this place needs. That's what this school here, Williams Elementary, that's what those who go to the schools, what they need. That's what those kids need, what those families need. Our mission statement is that we would reflect the wonder and beauty of Jesus and join him in the renewal um, or revival of this city. That God has an original plan for people, but they have fallen off that plan. And so salvation is really a bringing back to a creator. But we need people who are ready to cry out, to pray, and then to touch, to connect. Would you just bow your head with me for just a minute and let's see, perhaps God is speaking to those of us here. Uh, perhaps you are the widow, <laughs> I guess. 
and you've been questioning what, where God is when the supply uh, seemed to not be enough, when death started happening in, in your house, for you today, I would encourage you just to put your faith in a God who is good. To bring your needs uh, to Him, but also bring your needs to God's people. Sometimes you don't even have the faith to go to Him personally. That's okay. That's why you have a prayer request card in your seat. That's why you're handed one in the worship guide, so that we can pray. In fact, yeah, that, that, how, how about we just do that? Let's be, this isn't super spiritual, but just, just take, that, take that prayer request card, take an ink pen, and I challenge you to write, to write down your dead things. I challenge you to put down some things in your life that the Spirit has gone out of. We'll pray over it. We'll take it to the upper room this week. We'll stretch out on it, literally hold it in our hands and pray for it. But what if, what if that's like, what if that's the next step for your faith? To be vulnerable. Because all the while that this kid was sick, the woman never went to the prophet. But when it finally looked like she just couldn't handle it, that's when she brought it to the prophet. And that's when... God did the miraculous, and that's when she said, now I know. There's a now I know moment for you. God wants to get you there, and, and he's not going to ask you to, to get yourself there. He's not going to ask you to, to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, and, and just forget about what you've lost. No, 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 no. Bring it to him. Watch what he does with it. And then I'll say, see? Told you so. See, see, look, 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 this thing you thought was dead, it's alive again. See, look, this relationship you thought was over is alive again. This, this family you thought was crushed is alive again. This job, this situation, look, 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 look how God brings life out of dead things. Look how he restores what no man can do. He opens doors that nobody can close and he closes doors that nobody can open. But you have to bring it to him. And maybe some of us here, we're not necessarily the widow. Maybe we've been around for a while. We've been through some stuff. And uh, you are sort of like an Elijah. You've been through some stuff. And the temptation is always to tell everybody what you know. Because the woman said, now I know. So we want to tell everybody what we know. But really, what our neighbors need, what our family needs, and what, what your church family needs, the person sitting next to you needs not to hear what you know <laughs> it's for your arms to be out to them for you to say let me let me carry that let me babysit your kid <laughs> let me mow your lawn let me bring food to your family let me keep kids fed let me read to kids let, like like they're, they're there has to be a stretching out of our hands to carry burdens, yeah, to, to God in prayer, absolutely. But also the weight, the weight of what is crushing people, the weight of what is distracting them, pulling them away from God. Hmm.
So maybe God would lay someone on your heart. Maybe God's putting a face in your mind right now. This person, this person needs some, some heavy lifting. <laughs> this person needs some carrying. Lord, I pray that you would lay that on each one of our hearts. Wherever we are, whether we are the Elijah or the widow, it's not, it's not easy. And, and, and neither one can be selfish. Neither one can afford the luxury of only thinking about what makes us comfortable. Both the widow and Elijah had to step outside of their comfort zones and do things that they had never done before. The widow trusts her son to God and Elijah <laughs> trusts God to raise a dead thing back to life. Lord, we have too much of what we have seen. We have too much flesh really the problem. The spirit had gone out of the boy. That was death. There's too much flesh without spirit. We need your spirit, Lord. Welcome the spirit of God into our lives, into our situations. Come and, and do not just, not just the supply, but bring back those things that we have allowed to die. Those things that we have lived with, those compromises that we have made We've changed. We've allowed. We haven't been passionate like we were. We haven't been obsessive about pleasing you. We haven't really even stopped to think about that. We have been so consumed in our own comfort and in maintaining our own comfort zone. And trying to put on the face that everything is good and, and get the get the social media just right. That we that we have neglected the health. We got the stuff, we got the supply from you, and we're thankful for it, but we forgot about our health. And so we have death in our homes. We bring that to you right now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.